Hello and welcome to Intellectual Property Magazine's podcast. I'm Ben Wadecki and this is episode 13, Challenges in China. On the pod today is Fabio Giacopello from HFG. Fabio, thanks for joining us. How are you? Hi, Ben. I'm okay. Thank you. You're in China, Shanghai. Everything is okay. Wonderful. Well, I'm in London, and for once, we've actually got ourselves some snow. So I'm sure you've got better weather than us. Also on the pod is Doug Clark from Rouse. Thanks for coming on the pod, Doug. How are you? I'm very good, thanks, Ben. And um, I'm here in Hong Kong, and we have absolutely stunning weather. It's almost like uh, spring, so it's very nice. And of course, Spring Festival's coming up, so Happy New Year to everyone. And a Happy New Year to you as well. Also from Rouse is Hattie Kui. Thanks as well, Hattie. Where do we find you, and how do we find you? Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, this is Hattie. Uh, I'm, actually, I, I'm actually based in Beijing. So um, the weather is cold, but uh, everybody is ready for the holiday mood. So the Ch- Chinese New Year holiday is around the corner. So we are trying to clear as much as many deadlines as possible but in the meanwhile we are trying to celebrate the holiday very soon thank you no worries at all well we'll get this done quickly so you can go and enjoy your new year celebrations and last but very not least my good friend michael han of beijing yiju law firm how are you sir i'm doing well thank you ben and nice to see you again glad to join this talk and uh, yeah happy new year to everybody Thank you. Wonderful. And with the introductions out of the way, let's get on with the pod. Today, we're talking all things China, specifically what lies ahead for this IP giant and its legal landscape. Hattie, let's come to you first. China continued to dominate the IP world in 2020 in terms of filing numbers and even in the headlines, even despite the pandemic, in fact. What challenges have you seen and what changes or challenges have practitioners had to face? I think the the, the Baffis issue has been occupying all the media reports for the past uh years. And uh, even uh, with the pandemic uh, COVID-19 situation, uh, I think this is still uh, will continue to be the most problematic issue will faced by the brand owners. So for example, uh, just one uh, single um, number. Previously, even with COVID-19, the impact of COVID-19 in 2020, although the government did not give us the uh, the, the ac- accurate number of the filing of tri- new treatment applications, but we can still see uh, there's some uh, unofficial record saying uh, in last year, the filing number of new treatment ab- applications in China is over 9.1 million. That's a very huge number. And uh, what to what extent, what other percentage of the marks will be uh, put into use? That's an issue. And that's a question mark for a lot of brown owners. So I think uh, continue to fight against the Baffis issues, uh, Baffis situations in China will be, continue to be a very serious uh, uh, problems, uh, issues faced by brown owners and also as well as the practitioners. And also I think for last uh, for uh, China last year, due to the pass of the civil code, uh, there's uh, the change of the new law uh, for uh, for example, the patent law and also uh, a corporate law. Uh, so basically, the punitive damage are uh, in, um, included in the laws, and then there's uh, an increased amount of uh, statute damages. So I think uh, for uh, practitioners, it's a mixed feeling. On the one hand, uh, there's a new laws, there's a, the, 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 the core determination, the government determination to fight against the Baffis registrations and to improve the business operation environment in China, the, the, to in, improve the whole IP landscape in China. But on the other hand, uh, all 
most of the sophisticated bad faith filers are going undercover and they are becoming more and more not that obvious. So that actually uh, increased the level of difficulty for brand owners to identify them. And so also it's, it created problems for authorities to identify them. So in that sense, uh, that's why bad faith issue continue to be a very serious problem in China. In the meanwhile, as I just mentioned, the registry is so, so crowded. Compared to the 9.1 million new trademark application numbers last year, um, the, there's another number um, uh, announced by the Sin IPA. So last year for the new applications that got registered, it's a little bit more than 5 million. And there's an unofficial number saying, um, uh, because the CTMO, the CNIPA never issued this kind of uh, rate, but the people just uh, doing their calcula calculations, it, uh, there's a rumor says the rejection rate of new applications has reached the level of uh, around 60, which means uh, six of the 10 applications will be rejected by the CTMO. I think that's kind of the solutions, the short-term solutions for the CNIP trying to deal with the, uh, the huge number of filings and uh, try to clear backlogs as soon as possible. But in the meanwhile, that does increase the level of difficulties for the brand owners, especially the legitimate ones, to get their mark registered to su uh, support their business operations. We have been seeing um, the rejection because of the very high rejection rate of new applications, the cases have been flooded into the TRAD, the appealing board of the CTMO decisions, and then to the courts. Um, very, very unpleasant results is that the, because of the, the very high caseload, the TRAD, the courts are more and more not willing to overturn the CTM rejections. The brand owners are uh, caught in between. On the one hand, they have to deal with the bad faith issues, the squatting issues. And the, on the other hand, they do have a lot of problems. They have to invest a lot just to have their mark, mark registered properly in China. So from the trademark perspective, I think those are the challenges they will be still facing in, uh, for the short term for the next few years until the whole situation will be getting better. Thank you, Adi. And Michael, same question to you, especially as someone who is a practitioner in China. China, but also looking to join the bar in the States. What challenges have you seen? Yeah, firstly, I think your word choice of dominant means that in the number of intellectual property applications, China is definitely at the top of the world. But I think China's IP competitive power is far from dominating level. In my opinion, the major challenge that uh, China is and will be facing more international IP conflict. China has been shifting from the world's factory to an innovative country. I think in the future, intellectual property will be the core competitiveness of Ch for China. But right now, China is still a new player. I mean, although the number of IP applications of China has grown rapidly in the past decades, the competitiveness of China in the IP field did not grow at this speed. But right now, China is essentially getting more competitive with IP. With rising of a big new player, I think, uh, you know, conflicts and disputes uh, with old players will be hardly evaded. Chinese big companies such as Huawei, ZTE, have been facing international IP disputes. Uh, they will face a more severe competitive market environment. Also, to many small or medium-sized companies, the opening of, uh, you know, China's market will bring them challenges to, you know, uh, this year, China signed the phase one trade deal with the United States. China signed the original comprehensive economic partnership 
with 14 Asia Pacific nations. And the, at, at the end of this last year, China and in the, the EU agreed on a major investment deal. This means China is opening its market to the world to a larger extent. And I think it's not the end of the opening process. Such a situation will test the small companies' IP operating capacities. In my, you know, in my opinions, many companies still have a lot of work to do. As to practitioners, right now, more and more clients here in China are requesting new forms of IP legal services rather than, you know, the traditional um, domestic IP applications or litigations. For example, international IP layout strategy or international IP disputes resolution, IP commercialization. I mean, this situation requires Chinese IP service companies or law firms develop to a higher level, but China is still in short of such high-level practitioners. I think it's a challenge we're facing. Thanks, Michael. And Fabio, from a European perspective, what have you seen? Yeah, I was thinking, first of all, when you say dominate the IP world, and uh, you say at the beginning, I was thinking, of course, to the 9 million trademark filing that uh, Happy had just mentioned, and similar situation for patent. But I was also reading very recently um, statistics from uh, um, the European uh, Union, and basically still the sized goods of the European customs are more than 80% coming from China. I might, I might say I was not surprised that uh, still China is also dominating the, the production and exportation of counterfeited goods. And uh, it is uh, indeed more difficult to, to chase these goods uh, with anti-counterfeiting actions in, in the time of COVID and in the time of digital uh, digital commerce. This is uh, one thing. Also on a practical side, thinking the challenges of 2020, legalization of documents in Europe, in Chinese embassies everywhere, it was a nightmare. Consulate have been closing down, stuff has been repatriated to China. It makes sense, of course, but making a litigation where you need legalized documents has been a nightmare. And then, I mean, I will uh, take it a little bit of humor. I couldn't expect uh, to make one year without uh, IP conferences. <laughs> this has been a challenge, not meeting uh, foreign colleagues and exchange and updates. But anyway, thanks for organizing occasion like this. But um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of webinars and video conferences instead, <laughs> anyway. So I think, uh, yeah, this is uh, what I want to mention in addition to what, uh, what my colleagues have already said. And uh, a lot of also, I was trying to count a lot of new pieces of legislation. I think Hattie already tried to touch on this topic, but we have the new button law coming in for us and uh, a new copyright law. And this, I would say, is not 50% of the whole IP legislation, but kind of close. I mean. Uh, trademark law and unfair competition law recently modified in uh, 2019. Also, the anti-monopoly law, which is may, I'm not sure if it is strictly speaking IP, but was just also modified. And it's interesting to notice that now trademark law, copyright law, and patent law they are aligned on, uh, let's say, statutory damages at the five million renminbi, which is interesting because until last year we have uh, patent uh, damages lower than trademark damages. It's uh, kind of crazy from my perspective. And um, punitive damages, that's great. But indeed, I mean, uh, you know, damage compensations uh, uh, have been increasing in recent years, and I expect they will keep increasing in, 
in the future. Thanks, Fabio. I must admit, I do miss those conferences and probably more than most, I must say. Doug, let's bring you in on this as well. Looking ahead to the post-pandemic, whenever that may be, of course, do you foresee any major shifts in Chinese IP? For me, I, I, I don't think we're going to see major shifts. I mean, Hattie's already touched this and so is Fabio. You know, IP is becoming very important in China. Um, there's a report the other day that Xi Jinping himself said, you know, intellectual property and innovation is one of the major drivers of, of, of China's growth. Um, so we're going to see a big focus on IP and we are seeing some some small changes. Uh, just this week, the Supreme Court have put out some guidelines to try to make notarization and legalization a little bit easier. We'll see how that actually works in practice, but um, you know, hopefully that will happen. Also already touched on some of the things, the amendments, the patent law are going to be very large, uh, have a very large impact when they come into force. Um, the increased damages are going to make a lot of people think about whether they can really efficiently infringe. Um, and we've already seen that in, in, in trademark cases in, in the past year, we've seen some very big awards. Um, and so the pandemic itself is not going to make um, it, it's not a post pandemic question. I think it's just the development of IP in China is moving very fast. Um, and we are seeing a more efficient system with um some major changes coming in the next year or oh, next few years sorry thanks doug fabio let's come back to you you and i spoke about new chinese legislative changes around trade secrets in 2019 which our listeners can check out on intellectualpropertymagazine.com uh, what kind of changes do you expect to see in the next two to three years once we're out of the situation we're in of course one thing is that i think we all are expecting is that the from the theory of the, the, the business of legislation, this new business of legislation going to the application in the practice. This has been something that has been always been criticized. I mean, the Chinese legislation are uh, decent, actually updated, very good. The application in the practice has always been a little bit lacking behind. While in this moment, my feeling is, and I'm, I want to quote just uh, what Doug just said, is that uh, Mr. Xi is pushing very much on intellectual property and the COVID, COVID, I would not say post-pandemic, I think we are still in the middle of the pandemic, but anyway, this thing is um, uh, helping to improve the system in China because of the uh, IP is not anymore perceived as a, something imposed by foreigners. It's something that now is also in the interest of Chinese uh, companies, Chinese, let's say, national interest, and not anymore something like only Huawei and ZTE that we always see at the top of the button filing. It's also, I think, a small enterprise I have a lot of uh, small enterprise friends which come to me and ask IP advisors, which is kind of new to me, always working for foreign multinational, having a small Chinese enterpreneur asking me about copyright, trademark, patent, design, a lot of things. So I see the COVID is uh, pushing uh, IP becoming more normal for Chinese SMEs and becoming national interest to improve the system from theory to the application in the practice. This is the something that I... I want to stress. Thanks, Fabio. Hattie, at the top of the pod, you spoke about potential legislative changes. Are there any cases that you can outline for our listeners that you feel they should be keeping an eye on or being aware of over the next 12 months or so? So, so for people who are kind of familiar with the China culture, China style, uh, uh, for every year, uh, 26th of April is the uh, IP day. Before the IP day, there will be a lot of uh, announcement from uh, in, uh, from different levels of the courts, uh, including the SPC, the Supreme People's Court. And uh, so they will be announcing a lot of 
of sample cases. And uh, the different levels, of, for example, IP courts and the local uh, IP chambers will, will be also, also in, um, announcing a lot of sample cases for that jurisdiction. I think what I can expect for this year is that because of a punitive damage, towards the end of last year, there was a, a quite a few seminars, discussions, very hot topic regarding punitive damages. Because uh, even though punitive damage is new to patent law and uh, corporate law, but it was not new to the cor- uh, uh, trademark law. But previously, it's a, a sing- single of the trend of the judicial review. But previously, when even though there are high, some high profile high damage cases, but the court was not very clear about adopting the punitive damage concept. But from late last year, we started to see some cases where the court actually analyzing the uh, punitive damage uh, uh, rule, uh, the application of uh, punitive da- damages. So I think that this year, uh, in terms of the cases, we can uh, watch out. I, I think probably the, the court will be announcing some high-profile representative uh, precedent uh, punitive damage uh, cases. Doug, how do you just talked about China's courts there? Uh, there's been quite a few IP-specialized courts opening up in China in the last 12 months, and I believe more are scheduled for this year. Would you mind confirming this? And either way, is how positive is this for practitioners and IP-focused Chinese businesses? The general trend for IP courts or IP tribunals is, is very good. Um, you get specialist judges who who deal with cases um, and uh, you know, they, have, they develop experience, they understand the issues. And so everything can be dealt with uh, more efficiently and quickly and with confidence that you're getting the right decisions. The biggest change, of course, was in 2019 when we saw the uh, Supreme People's Court IP Tribunal uh, established for it to become a central appellate court for patent and high-tech cases, which is a game changer, something I've been saying should happen for years, and uh, it finally happened, and they have been unifying the law and reducing local protectionism. On the light side, um, the, the the newest IP court, so you have three IP courts in Shanghai, Beijing, and Guangzhou, Guangzhou covering Guangdong province, major IP cities, the major areas for IP. Strangely, um, not maybe not that strange, but strangely, China's decided to establish its next IP court in Hainan Island. Um, now, Hainan Island could not be called the center of IP in China or anywhere near it. It's actually more like the Hawaii of China. It's where people go for beach holidays and things. Um, but maybe it's a way for everyone to think, okay, it's, it's middle of winter here in Beijing or Shanghai. Let's head down to Hainan Island and do a case there um, because it's, uh, it's going to be a lot warmer and nicer. Um, I really, the only reason I can think it's there is, is a way to encourage the development of, of the legal system in Hainan. Uh, because of the jurisdiction rules in China, it will be possible in quite a lot of cases be fallen because as long as you have um, an act of infringement in Hainan, um, you'll be able to bring a case there. Um, and anything that's sold retail will probably find its way down there. I would have thought preferably personally that they would be looking at it in, in the West somewhere like Chongqing or Chengdu for, a, for an IP court, but Hainan's been the one chosen, probably part of the plan to, to try and boost their economy. But to answer your basic question, um, the IP courts are a godsend and the IP Supreme Court um, uh, Tribunal has been a fantastic development, which shows China's commitment to really um, enforce IP rights strongly. Thanks, Doug. I don't know about our listeners, but I think I know where I'm filing my cases in China going forward. Uh, Michael, let's bring you in on this topic. Uh, As a practitioner, how welcome is it that you now have these IP-focused facilities? Opening IP-focused courts is definitely a positive step for practitioners and IP-focused businesses because, you know, the judges of such courts are more specialized and it's... um, conducive to uniform the standard of judgments in China. Although there is no, you know, 
declared plan, you know, to open new such courts in China. But uh, I think there is a there's an obvious trend that more and more ordinary courts will establish specialized IP tribunals within the court, and um, all IP cases will be tried by such specific um, tribunals. I think that's that is uh, very good news for you know practitioners in China. Thanks, Michael. Fabio, is there anything your colleagues and, and, and Chinese IP professionals are, are looking at outside of China and paying attention to, maybe Brexit, something in the States perhaps? What are you seeing? For sure, until let's say the January 2020, so the, the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020, our attention was catalyzed by the US-China trade war. And soon after the US-China trade and investment agreement, we have been reading the first chapter it's very long. I think the longest part of that agreement is on intellectual property. And that catalyzes a lot of our attention. Actually, we found that already many things in the agreement were already translated in laws in China. That was uh, good and interesting. After that, something else I noticed with, with surprise talking with colleagues was that uh, besides the, the filings of a patent outside of China, the Chinese companies are also filing trademarks in Europe and in US in, in a massive amount. And that, that was another interesting thing that from China we have been looking at. Of course, Asia and Southeast Asia with this um, regional comprehensive agreement that recently signed is another area that is, uh, I think, at the center of attention of Chinese companies when uh, looking abroad. And and yeah, and you mentioned Brexit is already there as a topic from, from years. Now it's actual and basically we are in the implementation phase of uh, countermeasures, what we have to deal with this thing, and which is actual. And yeah, that's probably what I have on my agenda. And Hadi, round us off, same question to you. Is there anything that yourself or your colleagues are keeping an eye out for outside of China? Yes, definitely. I think, uh, especially for COVID-19, <laughs> at least for us, um, um, for the past year, we were able to uh, take over, take in a lot of Chinese clients. So it's, it's, I think the COVID-19, the, the global economy actually plays an important role for the business decision. Uh, I can see Chinese clients uh, trying to go over, uh, go over uh, go overseas, and they are expanding their global IP portfolio and uh, including, for example, patents, they, they might primarily do by PCT. But for trademark filings, they, I, I, uh, I do see the increase of uh, either in uh, domestic applications in each indivi- individual countries or um, the filings through Madrid uh, protocols. I can see a trend of uh, Chinese companies, large scale Chinese companies uh, are trying to hire people, hire in-house counsel who have both domestic China practice experience as well as international portfolio management experience. Um, and I see uh, the more uh, fightings the Chinese companies are doing, uh, the more we can see uh, the issues they are facing. For example, most of the marks they are fighting are English ones. And um, uh, so a lot of uh, uh, the, the companies in China are actually facing uh, uh, rejections or oppositions in uh, sophisticated, sophisticated countries like US, EU. So they need to go to very 
good law firms in local jurisdictions to help them uh, with their trademark issues. And uh, for uh, emerging markets like uh, in Southeast Asia, uh, things might be more complicated. So uh, I can see Chinese companies, especially the large scale ones, the tech ones, they are spending much more money to uh, their to protect their IP assets, not just domestically, but also internationally. Thanks, Hattie. And with that, we've reached the end of the pod. We want to thank our wonderful panel today and thank you for listening. Be sure to check out intellectualpropertymagazine.com for the latest IP news, views, developments from China and, of course, around the world. Thank you, and please stay safe. Stay safe.